Today on the show, my good friend Ryan stops by the Coffee Buzz Studios all the way from Portland, Oregon. It's our uh, first out-of-town guest here on the show. I've known Ryan for well over 20 years, and um, I got to tell you, it was great to catch up with him. Um, we're going to talk about life goals, being creative, robots, and the potential takeover by artificial intelligence. We might even drink this entire bottle of Grandy's cold brew today. I mean, you're all, all the way here from Portland. I am. Yep. That Portland, is, Oregon. That is awesome. How, how do you like this uh, this coffee? I know it's not Stumptown, but have you have you tried it yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's great. It's like a like a like a toddy. Yeah. Know, cold brew coffee. Yeah, I really. This one is smooth, and I've been mm -hmm. reluctant to pick it up because it's a little bit more than the other ones. What is this? Grandies? Is that what it says? Yeah. Grandies, but it's. I think it's worth it. It's the only one I've liked um, as much. Like Stumptown's up here, and I put this one like at a distant second. I'm digging it. Yeah. I, I think I'm glad. I, I mean, it's pretty strong. I'm glad I watered it down, but I'm, I'm really enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, there's more water over there if you need to I'm good. tame it a little bit. Yeah, that's no, very smooth. <laughs> good deal, yeah. I think I drink it now. It almost reminds me of like drinking whiskey. <laughs> you know, like with it the does ice. kind of remind me of the bourbon I had last night. Yeah, yeah it, that's uh, for me. Iced coffee has that sort of same yeah, sensation to it. I thought about that. So, you are one of the very few people that I know that actually did what they wanted to be when they grow up. When they grew up, mm -hmm. you always knew that. When the rest of us were getting drunk and partying all the time and not to say you didn't have fun but you would be the guy to go I've got to work on this project for for class yeah and you I know remember that. <laughs> and I remember at the time being very envious like man this guy he's so much more mature I'm gonna be at the bar having a beer for him but um, <laughs> he's he's just got this sense of purpose and I'm just curious like when did you when did you know what you wanted to do with the graphic design and whatnot? Well, you know, um, it, so it started out where I thought I would be an artist, you know, because, you know, when you're in grade school and, and whatnot, you're taking art classes and it's all about drawing and painting and simple stuff like that. But uh, the idea of making or doing something creative on a computer um, didn't present itself to me until I was probably... 11 or 12 years old my dad kind of looking forward you know into the future and thinking about you know what I could do when I grow up he uh, he knew computers would be essential in just about everybody's lives in terms of, of work I mean he he knew that much he didn't use one himself but um, so he he and I joined a Texas Instruments users group and I got to meet these people who were just doing various things on these really primitive TI-99 4A computers, hmm. which I, I own one now and I oh, love wow. it. Oh, wow. Those um, are like antiques now. Yeah, they're vintage. It's yeah. like you're looking at like 80, early 80s computer oh, wow. that you would hook up to a television for a screen. 
and you would save, you know, whatever you were working on, you'd save it to a cassette tape. <laughs> I remember so, that. Really, really simple, but beautiful at the same time. And I remember sitting, it, we, we were going to the last meeting of the year, and it was like December. And all these user groups um, had newsletters, and they were mailing each other like snail mail, these newsletters, so you could, you could read about what other users groups were doing. And I don't remember what user group this was, but they sent... A, I think it was a cassette. I don't remember exactly what the media was, but they sent this this uh, animation to my group, and so the people leading the group um, played uh, this animation, and it was just a simple pixelated uh, Santa Claus and his reindeer traversing the screen, and some Christmas background music, and it was just a loop. Where oh wow! It was just Santa coming through, coming yeah. through, coming through. And when I saw that, I saw the motion and this, the music together, I thought, wow, how did they do that on a hmm. computer? And from that point forward, I wanted to figure out how can I make computer graphics? Wow. And, uh, and I dabbled in it some on that, on that computer. I tried to do some things. And unfortunately, the people in the users group, they really, their, their expertise were in other areas. I mean, we're talking about it's a bunch of adults and yeah. I'm the only kid in the group. Oh wow. So um, so I did what I could but I eventually we got another computer like a Tandy computer and it was a way more intuitive interface. It came with a mouse, right? So you could actually, you know, move around the screen and click on stuff. Right. And um, and it came with some really basic drawing application and I created a graphic in this drawing application. I don't remember what it was and I brought I printed it out on my printer and I brought it to, to school at high school. Yeah. And my, my art teacher was just like, whoa, you made this on a computer? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was fun, you know. Uh -huh. And, and it, it looked like garbage, right? Because I was, I was spending time, you know, painting in acrylic paints and doing all kinds of traditional art media in the class. And she had never had a student come in with anything computer generated before. Oh, really? Huh. And so I thought that was kind of like her reaction to it. I thought that was kind of cool because I didn't expect her to be so blown away by it. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it was just a matter of my, my mom doing some research and figuring out, okay, what universities have design programs and computer labs, because we didn't have a decent computer to do, to run any sort of Adobe software. Yeah. So then, then I got to Texas State, and they had this awesome computer, just rooms full of computers, and all the software was there, and they had teachers to show you how to use the software and teach you about design. and. And we took a tour of their department, and I was just like, "This is this is it. This is totally where I should be." You just knew. Yeah, yeah, wow. and, it, and, it, and it all stemmed back to that class with my dad when I was twelve years old. No kidding, that's crazy. I guess, and that's one of the things you know that uh, we mentioned here is the nature versus nurture side of things. Yeah, yeah. So the nature, I think the nature definitely comes into play. Um, you know. Some people are born with a need to create, you know, and some people aren't. Um, I'm the kind of person that I like to just make things, whether it's on a computer or with my hands. I just like to get crafty and create things. And so, you know, growing up, uh, you know, in the 80s with Legos and whatnot, I had a great outlet to like problem solve and make stuff. And I had a library of tools, little pieces of Legos. And yeah. so. So that so my desire to create coupled with my my parents' um, respect for that and uh, and them looking for opportunities to nurture it, 
total the combination of the two things is kind of where I ended up, how I ended up where I am. Um, and my parents were creative too. I mean, they were both writers. Oh, that's right. So, um, you know, whether it was for a magazine or a newspaper or whatever, whoever they were working for. So it's just kind of there, you know, mm-hmm. always has been. Um, but, you know, it's essential that, that, that it's recognized early and nurtured. Yeah. You and know? you also had that teacher that saw your potential. Yeah. My I, art teacher thought it was awesome. I mean, she liked, she really liked all my other stuff I was doing too. Yeah. And, and, um, and then, and I ended up winning like a, like a, a, a county art competition. Oh yeah. And, and, and winning that competition really boosted my confidence in exploring, you know, doing something like that in college. And so I, I, I just knew that I should declare a major in some sort of design. Yeah. Yeah. And, there's something that you mentioned here about your, I got to hear more about this, your yeah. first grade safety presentation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> What's that about? Um, so so that's where, uh, you know, because so, so like the perfect, um, the perfect meeting point for my interests are design and robots. Hmm. Okay. So so this uh, this first grade fire safety presentation, um, it might have been kindergarten, actually. Uh, I'll never forget it. Um, it was probably 1982 or so, and my class was filed into this empty room to, to you know, we didn't really know why we were there. And this guy comes out with a robot. Oh, wow. And this would have been, what, in the late 80s? Or early 80s. Early 80s, okay. Yeah. So they were even cooler back then, more of an exotic thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and this thing, <clears throat> in retrospect, I mean, I... I didn't. I had never seen a robot before in person. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I had seen Empire Strikes Back by this uh, point. I think okay. I can't. It's really hazy. Like, did I did I see this first or Empire Strikes Back? Because start the original Star Wars, I was too young to see that. Hmm. So Empire Strikes Back's where that whole droid universe comes into play. So he wheels this robot in, and it was probably a cassette-driven robot. I'm pretty okay. sure it was analog. Yeah. And he had a remote control, but this robot went through this whole presentation about fire safety and what <laughs> to do when there's a fire and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And I remember the topic, but I don't remember a damn thing the robot said. <laughs> but I remember sitting there being completely mesmerized by this seemingly alive mechanical creature. And... And I, I was just blown away by it, and uh, and eventually we all kind of filed out of the room, and I like was intentionally the last kid to leave the room. And I remember <laughs> walking over to the robot and looking at it. I think I touched its head, and it was probably six inches to a foot shorter than me, so oh, yeah. it kind of gives me an idea of roughly what size it was. Um, I'm still not sure what robot it was. I oh, okay. think I know, but when I think about the time frame it doesn't totally make sense. Hmm. So I'm not entirely sure what robot it was. Um, but I immediately went back to my classroom and I guess it was first grade. And, um, and I sat down at a desk and at some point within the next day or two, I had time to draw a picture. Something else I'd never done before was use a ruler oh, really? to draw a picture. Huh. It's probably like my first ruler or something. And so I, I sat down and I had some time to draw and I had crayons and a pencil and a ruler and I drew this picture of a robot. 
And it was an approximation of the robot that I saw. Yeah. I, I know that I wasn't able to draw it exactly as it appeared, but it was a pretty good approximation. And it was kind of a cross between R2-D2 and this robot that I had seen. Um, and I still have the drawing. Oh, wow. Because I remember drawing it and, and sitting back in my chair and thinking, this is the best thing I've ever drawn. <laughs> you and knew it, was, it, yeah. it was partly because I used a ruler. And I, oh. there were actually straight lines. And the ruler had a curved edge. So I gave the robot like a dome, a clear dome head. And very classic, like 80s style robot. Yeah. Um, so so that's the that's the story about the, the fire safety presentation was my my interest in robots and my interest in drawing really flourished as a combination of those two events yeah and so you just sort of took that and ran with it and now you're graphic designer and you also build robots for fun mm -hmm. yeah you've got a blog on tumblr Yep, yeah. yep. vintage-robots.com. Yeah, check that out. It's how many robots are you up to as far as like how many you've built or I'm only on my second build. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's massively time consuming. It is. <laughs> it really is. I mean, cuz you know, you know what it's like. We have maybe an hour or two a day where we yeah. can do whatever we want right. cuz we've got other responsibilities, but and the way I'm going about it is a little bit different than most people. You know, most people I, I'm generalizing here, but you, you typically buy a kit, you know, oh, and, you, okay. and you follow instructions and you and you you build something from a kit. And what I'm trying to do is is build something from scratch, like completely like finding the parts, you know, that and then and then figuring out how they gonna how they're gonna fit together. And the the two the two projects I've undertaken, it's taken me a couple years for each robot just to find the parts. Oh wow. And I see some of the Instagram pages. It looks like, in some cases, you're actually making the parts mm -hmm. out of what pipes. Is... Okay, you know, like like uh, this, like the sort of hose you would hook up to your dishwasher, or the sort of hose you would hook up to your downspout to drain, you know, from your gutters. Wow. Um, you know, uh, different types of plumbing, um, trash cans are <laughs> oh, a really? huge part of the build. Huh. Um, that makes sense. And and uh, but you know the and the reason I've kind of got to a place where I'm starting to build robots is because I've been collecting them for years. Oh, really? Um, and you know, like there are toy robots, and I have my fair share of those. But yeah. I started I started collecting like real robots um, probably about 15 years ago. Huh. Um, and you know, it just it all started with the robot I had as a child that had broken. And it, it had actually never really worked very well, and it had always been kind of a disappointment. And I was like, I want to find one of these robots that's working. And, you know, the interwebs are amazing. You know, you right. can buy almost anything on eBay. Yeah. So I eventually, like, found a, a working example of that robot, and I got to kind of see what it was I had missed out on when I was a kid that I oh, wanted wow. so badly. Um but from there, I just, you know, there's so much information online. I started learning about all these personal robots that were created after the Star Wars thing kind of broke out. And, you know, most of them date from 81, 82 through about 88, 89. So they're yeah. all like early 80s to late 80s models. Um, and I've been able to find them, some of them locally. Oh, yeah? Uh, huh. Some of them I've, I've, I've had mailed, and, you know, they're fairly large. Like, some of these robots from, from back in the day, they'll weigh, like, 50 pounds. Oh, wow. You know, they're 
their components are not miniaturized and like they're things that you can hold in your hand and solder onto boards and mm -hmm. and then I've I've kind of grown a small network of of other guys online that are into these same robots and you know I don't have a technical background I have a fine art degree yeah so I get to a place where I really don't know what to do next I see and so when I'm restoring these robots I'll I'll, I'll typically need some help yeah. Although a lot of them are so well made that if you just kind of reseat everything and put a new battery in, half the time they'll still work. Oh, really? And they're huh. like 30 years old. You How know? about that? <laughs> so, you know, so I've got a small collection of those, but it eventually got to a place where realistically I've found most of what I'm going to find. I mean, there might be some one-off things that I find later, but, you know, a lot of the robots from that era of time... Some of them were custom made, and they were made in very small numbers. Others were were commercially made, like yeah. like Heathkit made a lot of really cool commercial grade robots. Um, Is that what you started off with? Was the kits or? Well, they were they were sold as kits back in the day. Yeah. Which, frankly, if you tried to put one together now, it would take hours and hours and hours. Oh yeah. At one point, I had a kit, but I looked at it, and I'm just like, I'm not ready to commit to this. Mm, yeah. So I ended up selling the kit, which was. As far as I could tell, a complete kit, and I was lucky to have it. And I bought a robot that just needed to be restored. And I enjoy that more. Like I enjoy tinkering with them, getting them to run again, and 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 run programs on them. The software is huge. Yeah. Um, there are ways to download some of that software, but then you've got to have the right interface between this ancient robot and the software. Oh wow! You've yeah. got to have an ancient computer basically right. to do it. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can't it's have fine. anything too up to date, probably, uh, because it won't be compatible. Is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there there are Windows operating systems, early Windows operating systems that can run, they can emulate certain software. Oh, okay. That have the right protocols to communicate with the robots, but um, but for the time being, the 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 machine I typically use is an old Mac Classic. Oh, okay. That I've kept running. Yeah. So, um, and it's fun to, a lot of them, you know, the, the, most of the robots were cartridge based, like various forms of cartridges and you'd plug the cartridge in and then it would run the programs. Yeah. But you can, occasionally you can find some pretty interesting software that wasn't commercially released that people have archived in the net. And oh, wow. if, if you can, if you can get it, if you can get the right computer and the right software to to literally play the program into the robot, the robot can still run the program. Oh, wow. And these were like sort of fan fiction type of, uh, you know, uh, software that people wrote uh, just out there on the web or? Um, it, it's software where the robot just does things that it otherwise wouldn't do. Oh, okay. You know, a lot of these robots, they came with um, sensors, ultrasonic sensors, sound sensors, light sensors, so they could sense the environment. And so a lot of times the software will use those sensors to trigger certain actions. And, you know, most, I think all of the robots that I have can talk in some capacity. Wow. Like yeah. they have a voice synthesizer. And if you, if you feed it the right, huh. the right program, they'll actually talk to you. you know, oh, wow. Which is super fun. Yeah. Um, Just don't let them talk to each other. Yeah, right. And they'll rise up against <laughs> us. Did you hear about the Facebook uh, AIs that they... They were designing, this engineer was designing AI for regulating Facebook for, you know, various reasons. And they thought for fun, let's, let's let these two AIs talk. Yeah, I think I read about that. And they started inventing their own language. Yeah. 
And yeah. so they they shut it down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which was, and we'll get more into that yeah, later yeah. on. No, that was a good article, though. That was yeah. freaky, yeah. Who is Tom Carroll? So at a certain point, I collected the robots I think I'll find, right? And I'm still enjoying them. I still occasionally run, crank them up, charge them up, run them, yeah. just play around with them. But the the catalyst to me trying to build a robot of my own from scratch was in my in my search for vintage robots. I'm a I'm a member of the Portland area robotics group, and it, admittedly, I'm not as active as I used to be. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm on their listserv, and I get their emails, and I know when they're meeting, and all that. And group of great guys, and I'm I've always been kind of an oddball because I show up, and these are you know software and hardware engineers, and I'm like this you know this <laughs> fine art guy. Um, so, but uh, one of the members of that group just lived just north of Portland, and just across the river in Washington, and he posted that he was having a garage sale and he had some old robots for sale and he listed Ooh. some of these robots and I'm like, I don't have those yet. Huh. So I like, as soon as I could, reached out to him, said, hey, I'd like to drive up there tomorrow and see what you have. And I got to know this guy. His name's Tom Carroll. Um, he's a retired uh, engineer, used to work for a company that contracted with NASA. And he used to design robot arms that would be deployed in space. Oh, wow. So he did some really cool work. Yeah. Um, but back in the day when, you know, in the 80s or so, he happened to be the president of the Southern California Robotics Association. And somehow they were tied into the Boy Scouts. And the Boy Scouts used to, and they may still, publish a magazine called Boy's Life. Yeah, I think it's still still around. Probably. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I had a subscription to Boy's Life. And one month, I think it was September of 1984 or something, I got this issue in and the cover said, build your own robot. <laughs> so here I am, like totally into drawing robots and, and, and you know playing with my toy robots and whatever else I get a hold of. And here's an opportunity to build a robot. And it's something I always wanted to do, but I never acted on it. Yeah. Like nobody in my Boy Scout troop was was building one of these things. Right. So in the course of going up to to meet Tom and look at his vintage robots, which I did buy two of them, um, I I came to find out that he had written the article for Boy's Life. No way. He was the author of that article. Wow. <laughs> and and, I, and when he told me that, I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Because, like, I have a filing cabinet, you know, full of stuff. And yeah. I had kept a copy of this. Of in, that article. All these years. And I thought, you know, someday I'm going to build one of these just because I wanted to. And so when I met him and I realized, you know, oh, my God, I met the guy that, you know, that, 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 that drew the schematics and showed tens of thousands of little kids how to build their own robot back in the day. I'm like, I have to do this now. Like, I don't have a choice. Yeah. So, so I told him, I'm like, I'm going to do this. Like, I should have done this 30 years ago. So, um, so I started looking for parts, you know, and uh, his schematics were, uh, were a great blueprint, you know, to, to kind of get into it. Um, I had some basic experience in soldering and electronics, and 
this thing's about as primitive as it gets. I mean, it's a hardwired robot with switches and a battery. It wow. doesn't get any simpler. It's just a yeah. simple remote-controlled, tethered robot. Just relays, basically. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. yeah. No real electronics, just mm -hmm. motors and relays. So, so I started gathering up the parts, and then I told my kids, I'm going to build a robot. And uh, they were super excited. My younger daughter more so than my older daughter. So, so then I was like, one day I was talking to my, my younger daughter, and I'm like, well, what should we call the robot? Uh -huh. And out of nowhere, and I still don't know where she got this, she comes up with this name, Luna One. Wow, that's a really great name for a robot. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa, that, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, I could totally do a robot called Luna One. And the thing I liked about it was, you know, I'm, I'm building this robot, and I'm building it so they can play with it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a, a girl robot as a port as opposed to a boy robot. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And because you know she came up with this name, Luna. Yeah. And uh, and there was actually I think a a rover called Luna One that I think Russia landed on the moon or something. Oh, okay. So this thing there is an actual Luna One, but yeah. here's our version. Yeah. So I eventually found all the parts and pulled it together, and uh, and got it working, and then eventually I drove back up to 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 uh, his house and said, hey, check it out. This is probably the last Boy Scout robot, you know? Huh. And uh, and I brought my daughter with me and we demoed it for him and I got to take a picture of him with the robot and all that. And I, I set up a Tumblr for that too. It's yeah. called Boy Scout Robots oh, on cool. Tumblr. And um, one of the cool things he did was when the magazine had had published the article, they sent him a bunch of old photos of all these Boy Scouts across the country and their robots. Oh, wow. And Tom loaned me the photos, just old Polaroids and whatnot. Yeah. And I scanned all of them. And these are, these are images of kids that, that, uh, that built robots with their fathers, with their scout, with their troop leaders and all that. Uh -huh. But these, these, most of these pictures weren't published in the magazine. And I set up this this Tumblr blog and basically said, look at all these cool robots these kids made. And, you know, by the way, here's the one that I made with my daughter. Yeah. And uh, and it was super fun, you know. And it oh, was, yeah. I mean, it was at times it was difficult because I tried to make some modifications to a design, to his design, and it didn't work as well as I'd hoped. But I eventually I resolved all the bugs. And it's a, it's a, it's a one-of-a-kind little robot that rolls around and looks cool and and so when I finished that robot, I, I was like, okay, well, I'm eventually going to have to build a robot for my other daughter. Like, I need to be fair and build them each a robot. So, yeah. so I'm currently working on the second robot, and that robot is called Stella One. Nice. <laughs> and it's just a slightly bigger version, and instead of being tethered, it's remote controlled. Oh, I see. And so I'm, I'm just basically hacking some old toys and fitting them inside of a trash can, you know, and adding lights and... And, and the two designs are very similar on yeah. the outside. There, You can see the similarities. They're mm -hmm. obviously related, so to speak. But yeah. the insides are totally different. And um, and it's it's been fun to do that, too. Wow. It's crazy synchronicity that you met this guy, Tom Carroll. I mean, that just blows me away. Because what you're, are the odds? Yeah, you're from Waco, Texas. Yeah. Uh, Tom lives out in Portland, I guess. And he was in Ridgefield, Washington, and he's moved further up into Washington since then. But yeah, he he was he was out of California and moved up to Oregon and then Washington. That's crazy. 
Yeah, that yeah. sounds like you two were just destined to meet. Yes, you know? <laughs> I like I like to think of that. I mean, you know, if I believed in destiny and all that, but I yeah. I just feel really lucky to have run into him because it, meeting him and thinking about what he did was totally inspiring. Oh, I bet that's that's insane. That's that's awesome. I love that. And so, you know, being that you build these robots and you're you know more into it than anybody else I know, and I know that you're not a robotics engineer, but I'm. I'm curious of what your thoughts are with automation and how that's going to affect, you know, the future of the economy and industries and things like that. I think it's definitely going to have an impact Yeah. within our lifetimes. Um, I think that certain types of jobs that are available now will not be available to our kids' generation. Um, for instance, like... And everybody knows about this. Like Amazon has brought a, a lot of robots into their warehouses. Oh, yeah. They work in the dark, right? Yeah, I think so. They can shut off the lights. Nobody's there. And these bots just move move around the, bo- the, the boxes and such. Yeah. And make it easier for the humans to, to handle the box, to, 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 to grab the items, put them in the boxes, and, and ship them out. And it totally makes sense. Like, yeah. like making people traverse these massive warehouses is pointless if it can be automated. Sure. So that that's a no-brainer, I think, for sure, in terms of automation. And I think that's not going away, obviously. Right. Um, I think that they're also working on different delivery systems. Hmm. Like, for instance, um, they're starting to kind of test the idea of delivering packages with drones. Uh, I think as that technology gets better, that will become commonplace. Right. Um, I don't see that going away. Yeah. Um, in terms of moving large amounts of, of merchandise, uh, I think inevitably trucks will be autonomous. Yeah. And that initially we will have truck drivers sitting in the cabs, mm-hmm. kind of monitoring the systems. But we're going to get to a place where maybe in the next 10 or at the most 20 years, there's going to be a level of trust there where the systems are working so well that you don't necessarily need a human on board anymore. Right. And then, you know, if you're a trucker, you're out of work. I mean, yeah. like trucking is not a line of work that, that I would recommend anyone go into because I think this, this, the span of one's career at this point would be 10 or 20 years and then you would be, you'd become obsolete. Right, yeah. And one of the things that I've seen, well, the statistics anyway, is that one third of the world's population is transportation for their job. Mm-hmm. You know, you've taken you know, the truck drivers, the Uber drivers, everybody that transports, those jobs are going to be gone. And what's, just from an economic standpoint, truck driving is kind of a way to break out of the lower class and get into sort of either the upper lower class or lower middle class mm-hmm. income. Yeah, And that's going to be gone. I think it's, there's a danger that these, this automation is going to distribute the wealth even further potentially yeah yeah i mean um yeah i mean you know these warehouses that that are are like you know apple's manufacturing plants right they're they're bringing more robots in constantly it requires that less people work in those facilities because things are automated so you get you get the upper middle class who are educated to a place where they can manage those systems working in those warehouses and everybody else is gone yeah. So that's definitely going to play into manufacturing for sure. Yeah. On the more creative side, um, 
they've got robots that compose music now and mm-hmm. they've got uh, I, I know I watched this documentary where they had people that were very well trained on classical music and they couldn't pass the blind test on what was the bot what was oh, the wow. human I need to watch that yeah it's I say documentary it's all on YouTube I just ah. go down these YouTube yeah, right. rabbit holes so easy to do yeah <laughs> but uh yeah it's just and then you've got industries like the medical industry where it's more accurate than a lot of humans because medicine is pretty much guesswork for for a large part um yeah yeah as far as uh medical goes you know they obviously have robots that help doctors perform surgeries those have been around for a while yeah but looking forward i think artificial intelligence is going to play into that more and the doctor is going to be able to feed that system information that he's gathering and Mm -hmm. he's probably going to be formulating what could the diagnosis be in his own mind yeah but then he'll run it through this this language natural language processing algorithm and an artificial intelligence and the artificial intelligence will come back and say well it could be that or it could be this this and this and it's going to help doctors diagnose things more accurately because at that point the doctor can go away and start running tests to determine well what is it and maybe he's right maybe his original idea was was what was going on or maybe he runs a test and he finds out that one of the possibilities the ai surfaced is what mm. was wrong and they'll save lives together yeah so and until eventually the robot puts even the doctor out of a job because it's not just the blue collar yeah. in fact some of the higher end jobs like a doctor uh, i think they've got one now called watson that mm-hmm. is diagnosing is basically and you can interface with them over your computer him or her i guess you know we don't want to be gender specific with robots but um the legal profession is about 80 percent discovery you know with uh where you've got to gather information and research mm-hmm. which is already being automated mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and i think i think artificial intelligence will assist in that as well Absolutely. save time yeah, but you know, a lot of people think, well, it's only going to be the lower end jobs that get replaced. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be throughout, you know, society on all levels to some degree where automation makes sense um in whether it's medical or warehouse or and then what you mentioned earlier about music, um, you know, I w- a friend of mine works in um sound recording and the creative industry in Los Angeles and he showed me a tool online where you can kind of there's an interface and you kind of uh, through that interface uh, dial in what it is you're looking for and then the software will will build uh, a track oh wow and and it'll it'll push it back to you and I wasn't overly impressed with the outcome of what I heard. Oh, really? But I think if you had a you know professionally trained musician working that software, they could come up with ten times as many options for a soundtrack to something. Yeah. Than they otherwise would. Mm, yeah. If you wanted something completely new, if if you know if a library of of sound recordings aren't quite hitting the mark yeah and you could you could use this tool and come up with even more options and then from there you could tailor them now i wonder if that is going to um help creativity or does that make us say more lazy like i can't really 
spell as well as I used to because all I have to do is hit F7 in Word and it and it checks it for me. So I wonder what your opinion is. Like, does that assist the artist or does it become a crutch? I'm more optimistic about it in that I think that as the tools come become more sophisticated, they're only going to help us enhance our mm. work. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, like for instance, if you think about visual design and you think about the way people use the web, right? Well, there are there are fairly established patterns of interaction that everyone on the web is used to using, right? Yeah. Well, those patterns are kind of the foundation for whatever interactive design it is you're going to build. Like you can't stray too far from those patterns, or people won't under, understand how to use what you're building. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So, so in terms of music, like you know, using it as a crutch, I think that that at least initially the as the software becomes more intelligent it's going to act as a foundation for projects mm. where you could very quickly prototype quote unquote uh, a, a, a soundtrack or a design yeah and you could show you could share kind of a maybe a mood board or something of options with your client and then through exploring those the client could kind of dial in what it is they like and what it is they don't and from there, you would take that as a starting point to build something more robust that a, a machine uh, couldn't necessarily create on its own. I like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've definitely seen I'm able to do things because of the software that's in front of me that if it was analog, I, there's no way I would be able to pull any of this off. Sound editing is now just pretty much a breeze you know mm -hmm. anybody can do it if they sit down and actually spent time with it so maybe it does enable more people to be creative I, I kind of like your optimistic <laughs> I, I just see it as is the tools are just gonna get better and better yeah but if if somebody wants if somebody's on a budget if a clients on a budget and they don't necessarily want the personal attention you know personal level of service that a human would provide them mm -hmm. then maybe they would be able to uh, churn out something using a an intelligent tool and and just pay that much less for it. But, right. But I I am not confident that um, that necessarily what a machine would create would ever really match the the design solution that a human would find. I mean maybe eventually, but right. we're talking way in the future. Right. And I like to agree with you on that. You know, on on some level that there's a human element that can't be matched but there's others that would disagree with us you know that the bots are like you said they're going to continue to get better to the point where you won't be able to really tell a difference i don't know it's that's a big existential question the thing that scares me the most is not so much what we're going to do from an economic standpoint but um when the point of singularity hits mm -hmm. um, where the AI is actually smarter than the humans you know what what happens then because I've heard you know Elon Musk for instance say that um, you're basically summoning a demon when yeah. you talk about super AI yeah and I remember him saying that and you know he he's an interesting guy oh yeah his yeah. public persona is unlike any CEO I've ever seen before. And I think to a certain degree, he cashes in on that. And he mm. says these things that are a little bit um, maybe exaggerated. So everything that we have in terms of artificial intelligence right now 
is are things that people have built. Right. right. Teams of people. Exactly. Collectively speaking, those teams understand how those systems work. Yeah. Um, and in my mind, as long as that's the case, we have control. Right. right? We'll yeah. have the fell safes in place and whatnot. Where, where things get sketchy and the singularity seems possible to me is if we start writing and building artificial intelligence specifically for building artificial intelligence. Right, yeah. When you apply a machine intelligence to a task like that, and we have to get to a place where they can, eat, where it could even do it, right? Right, yeah. And for instance, what you said earlier about those two systems talking to each other and starting to create their own language, right? Yeah. Well, that sort of thing will, I think, emerge, and you'll have one artificial intelligence create another, and at some point, the systems that they create, we won't understand. And if we don't fully understand how they work and how they can be shut down, we get into an area where we could lose control of yeah. an artificial intelligence. And if that artificial intelligence is connected to something really important, and for whatever reason it decides to change the way that work works or it temporarily shuts it down or whatever it is, then, you know, what does that mean for us? Does our grid go down? Does our power grid go down? Does something significant like that happen? And, you know, it's chaos or whatnot. Um, I think that's possible that, that if we go that route and we, we allow a machine to create another machine and we don't understand what it's done um, because for whatever reason it's too sophisticated or complicated for e any of us to really grasp. Yeah then I think the singularity could be a threat. But the thing I would add to that is the reason that threats exist are because of agendas and personalities. Mm. And machines have neither. Good they don't point. have personalities. Their agendas are nothing more than their program. Right. And even though we, you know, certain companies have created robots that seem to have personalities, and I love those toys. I mean, yeah. they're, they're fun to play with. I own one. Yeah. Um, it's not real. Right. It's not a real personality. It's it not is, sentient. It's not sentient. It's just something that, you know, it's software that's been written to create the illusion. And there's a huge difference between that, right. between the illusion and reality. Mm -hmm. So. So even though uh, you know we may end up at some point with these with these intelligences that we don't fully understand how they how they work, um, I don't know. I fail to see why they would become a threat uh, unless they had an agenda. Yeah. And whenever you see a movie in, in pop culture, you mm. know Terminator or whatever it is, um, you know the way they position these these all-knowing, all-seeing machines is that they have an agenda. Right. But you have to have an, a, pers a personality to even form an agenda. True. So. Yeah, the, the bots or the AI that you're talking about, you know, Siri and Alexa and Google Home, that's from what I, my very base basic knowledge of this is what's called general AI. Um, the next step, no, no, I'm sorry, narrow AI. Mm -hmm. uh, the next step is general AI. Uh, which I'm not real sure how that differentiates, um, but, but the narrow AI is simple commands. And like you said, you can control it. It's in a box. Once it hits the super AI, mm -hmm. that's when it kind of gets a little to the unknown stage. Mm -hmm. 
because you just don't know what's in Pandora's box. Um, True. And I think we're eventually, and I know this is going to sound way out there, but um, I think we're eventually going to get there just because industry is always pushing for more efficiency. Mm -hmm. There's no regulating agency out there saying, hey, this is getting out of hand. We don't have a robot protection agency mm -hmm. or AI like we do for the environment or for other things. And so it's just because of the way the rules of the game are for capitalism and innovation. Mm -hmm. Unregulated are, innovation. It's just going to keep heading towards that. I don't know if it's 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, but eventually it's going to emerge. Well, I, I totally agree. And the I guess the one other thought, one other thing to take into consideration in terms of, of these super intelligence, intelligence systems is if we get to a place where those things are running the show, it's going to be paramount that we secure them. Right. Because yeah. if some foreign body hacks into that system uh, and plants a bit of code that actually creates an agenda mm. you know if they if they if they if they if they somehow corrupt the system to a place where it's doing something it shouldn't be doing and we don't know how to stop it mm. then we're hosed yeah because we would be no competition in that it would whatever it is would happen so quickly that we wouldn't even have a chance to respond yeah in a meaningful way I've heard somebody say it's not going to be like Terminator where you've got these robots with machine guns. Like, that's so crude and elementary. Uh, this guy said it's going to be something we haven't even thought of yet. Yeah. Like, that they will deploy nanobots mm -hmm. that put themselves in everyone's body that secrete just a tiny bit of lethal toxin that the AI comes up with and 7 billion people across the world Drop are dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's... Uh, I know it's. Uh, I'm kind of taking this to a dark place, but. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I, I think God's are none of this will happen. But I know. hope you're right. <laughs> I'm a little bit more cynical on this, but. Uh, sure, I do love my Terminators. Right? Which one was the best one in your opinion? Oh man, that's hard. Mm. The last couple, there have been good things about them. Yeah. But overall, they don't really hold up. As well as the originals did, mm -hmm. um, you know, I I'd have to say that you know the very first Terminator was awesome, yeah, and uh, and and I mean I I will always like that movie, but when they the second Terminator you has surprisingly holds up well after all these years, like like the like it. It really is still a really decent movie, and for me, that the storyline in that second Terminator movie is the best storyline. Oh yeah, yeah. So. When uh, Schwarzenegger gives him the thumbs up at the end, I I'm not gonna lie, I got a little misty eyed over a robot at that point. Yeah, yeah, that was powerful <laughs> stuff, you know. Yeah, and and, uh, and just the whole like you know, John Connor's a kid, and he's you know, and he's like this little person. And, and you know the Terminator has to protect him, and then Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor's still around. She's a badass. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, empowered woman. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, this is by far of all the movies that they've made so far, this one's still the best one. Oh yeah, yeah, it was it was great. Still is, like you said, great replay value. I watched it 
over the last few years, and it's still same here. Yeah, and I was like, wow, awesome. this is pretty decent. Yeah, because sometimes you go back to those old movies from the '80s and '90s, and you thought, how did I ever get entertained by this? You know, yeah. but then you hit one like that, and it's still still great. Yeah. So I, the last thing that, that I thought maybe we could talk about is the idea of longevity mm. versus living longer. Ooh. Or existing longer, I should say. I see. Like, <clears throat> go go into that a little deeper. So um, one of the other things, and this is this is where, like, in the terms of science fiction, this is kind of where where my interests are lie mostly, is the idea of at some point in the future being able to transfer our personalities, our consciousness into a machine. Oh yeah, you posted something about this recently. Yeah, I occasionally read some yeah. pretty good articles about it. It's it's uh it's still really far out there. I mean, they're they've they've created interfaces where people can control machines with their minds yeah. in a very primitive sense, but that's more that's more like an avatar. You know, right. Than, yeah. Than actually, like, what happens to you when you die, kind of situation. And then there are companies that are setting up, you know, different software services that will that will uh, collect all of your online data and create kind of a facsimile of your personality. Hmm. You know, so that like, if if you wanted to leave uh, something behind that kind of resembled who you were, something that you could talk to, that it would be there. And they, none, none of these companies have really perfected that. I mean, yeah. but, you know, as, we, as we're all online longer and, and everybody's getting more plugged into social media, et cetera, that data, that pool of data is growing exponentially. And I think future generations, there will be enough information and the software will be sophisticated enough to actually create those, those facsimiles oh, in an increasingly realistic way. Mm-hmm. And all that's really interesting, right? Oh, like, yeah. Like a facsimile is kind of a, a, in my mind, kind of a cool plan B. But the ultimate goal would be, as a, as a human, you know, once you your body's worn out yeah. and it, you can't continue on, would there be a way to transfer your consciousness into a machine that could at least sustain your personality? Yeah. Now, and, is that something you would be interested in? I, I've always been interested in the idea. I mean, you know, it's, I've been I've been so interested in robots for so long, and I'm like, I'd rather be a robot than be dead. <laughs> right? <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> and I've talked to my kids about it, and they think it's kind of a wild idea. Yeah. Um, I haven't really. I don't. I don't poke and prod too much in that area because they're pretty young, and I don't want to freak them out. You know. Sure. Yeah. You but they. Want... But I've been telling them for years, like. You guys have to build me a robot body. Like that's what you need to do, <laughs> so it's ready to go when you know I go. Right. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> the the only thing about that because it's very enticing. In fact, I watched a Black Mirror episode. You ever watch that show? I've watched one. Yeah. yeah. There's another one that I think I think you're going to mention here that I need to watch. So that one uh, they had. It was an episode based on that where, you know, you would be able to upload your consciousness into uh, the the Internet and you'd live there in this this world where you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to. But to me, it's you don't get to experience the biological process of death and to see what is beyond you. The, the great question of all human existence mm-hmm. Um, as morbid as that might sound, 
death is kind of interesting and curious. Like what, what is after all of this physical mm-hmm. world? I don't know. I think if we are able to upload consciousness, like we kind of cheat ourselves out of that. So I haven't watched that episode yet, but yeah. but it sounds like these people are uploading their consciousness before they die. Right. They're terminally ill in most cases. It's it's set in like a nursing home. But are then, they are their minds erased? Their biological minds like are, they have to make a choice at some point. Like wow. you can go into this realm, and yeah. they get to experience it first. Oh, um, to see what it would be like. Oh, or and that's the the whole existential question they have is. You know, the character is, do I go into this? Because it's not real. Do I cheat death? Exactly. Or do I go where I'm supposed to go? Yeah. Wherever that is. And that would be a, a very difficult question to ask or to answer. And, and I, I really kind of wonder, you know, will we have the ability to do that in, say, the next 30 or 40 years? Because if, if, if it's there, then, you know, you and I might potentially have to answer that question at some point yeah. in the future. I could see that happening without being too, you know, out into, you know, science fiction. Uh, I think it could probably in our lifetimes be an option that we get to make. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would argue that if that, if that technology is in place, then in my mind, why wouldn't we have the ability to, to, instead of transfer our minds into this other realm, this virtual realm or whatever it is. Yeah. Why couldn't we transfer our minds into a new body? Oh, I and see. And then what stay you mean. here and continue to exist on this planet okay. as a machine. Like Altered Carbon? Is that the other show you thought I was gonna reference? I, I, I watched the first episode of Altered Carbon. It didn't it didn't hold my interest, so yeah, I didn't mine pursue neither. it. But um and, and then there's Westworld. I've heard, oh, I've, right, heard yeah. I've heard good things about the new Westworld. I haven't watched that either. Yeah, it is interesting to see how much of our TV shows right now are dealing with this very topic. True. I mean, we just off the top of our heads named three different ones. Yeah. You know, wasn't that way like five years ago? There no. wasn't any of this stuff floating around. Um, I think, you know, so the new Blade Runner movie was oh, really yeah. excellent. Very well done. Um, and, you know, some of that plays into this as well. And so I guess, you know, pop culture is cyclical and it's yeah. just come back around and they're, they're, they can do a better job of imagining these things now than they could before. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, in terms of, of uh, extending one's existence, mm. um, the idea of occupying... Uh, a different body in this place is appealing to me. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons being that, uh, I mean, granted, you know, hopefully it's something that could be done and, and, um, and without altering your personality, like significantly, which would remain to be seen. Sure. But, you know, we're the, the human population on earth is growing exponentially and we're going to get to a place where, we potentially cannot sustain. Oh that. yeah, that's true. And so you know, in that respect, death is not a bad thing. I mean, people yeah. are supposed to die off and be replaced. Um, but if you were a robot and you didn't have to eat, yeah, your environmental anything, fingerprint would be nil. You know, like almost nothing. Yeah. Like like let's say you're solar powered, right? You know, and then you're you're walking around doing what you want to do, and you're not having an impact on the environment anymore. Hmm. Um, that I think, even though it would be kind of a sad, it would be sad if the human race kind of ended up like that. Um, it, 
I don't see anything wrong with that option. Yeah. You know, it's people that are trying to live a hundred plus years. It's people that are trying to, to continue life in our current form and continue to burden the planet as a result that things get really morally ambiguous there. Like, sure. Is that the right way to do things? And yeah. you know, how long should people reasonably be here consuming resources when new people are arriving all the time and right. they need that as well? Absolutely. At some point it's like, hey, you had your chance. Now it's time for the next generation. Yeah. 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 And then, and so then you, so then to play in, and I won't go too deep into this, but you know, every generation, um, their perception, their perspective changes, um, you know, politics evolve, you know, agendas change. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is because older generations die off and their right. perspectives go with them. Mm. And although we need to always kind of keep an eye on history and learn from it and not repeat it, it's important that a new group of people are in place to find new solutions because Absolutely. they're coming from a different place than their grandparents came right. from. Right, yeah. So what happens to people if they're roaming around and they're 300 years old and they're a robot? Yeah. You know, how does, how do, how does their perspective play into all of that yeah. and influence society at large? It could know. hold it back. You it know? could. You know? Yeah. It could go against the natural order of things. But, yeah, it's interesting stuff nonetheless. So we don't have any answers, by the way. We're just... No. <laughs> We're just going off on tangents. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. I mean, it's been 20 years since we hung out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, physically, yeah. I mean, we talked on the phone and right. social media, but it's been like it, about 20 years. You know, and this is how I know when I've got a solid friend is when we haven't seen each other for many, many years, but we just pick right up where we left off. Pretty much. And for me, that's that's what it is like with you, you know. It's like no time has really passed. Um, I feel the same way, Brad. Yeah. I really appreciate Ryan for being on the show and doing this. It means a lot to me. So thanks, Ryan. And you can find his Tumblr page at vintage-robots.com. I love some of the old pictures he has there. You got Transformers, Blade Runner, all kinds of cool stuff. And there's also the Boy Scout page that he mentioned. They have kids from the 70s and 80s and 90s with these robots it's really cool to see definitely check out that one too it's boyscoutrobots.tumblr.com and as always you can check me out at the coffeebuzzpodcast.com i appreciate you for listening and i will talk to you next week some of the amazing robotic creations that that we're building at at Hanson Robotics uh, here in Hong Kong and I'm up here on stage today to tell you a little more about these robots you know how they work how and why we're we're developing them and also for the first time we're having two of our beautiful Hanson robots uh, on stage at, at, at the same time to have a have a bit of a, a debate back and forth about about robotics issues and you can you can w watch them uh, chat chat with each other so
there, Ben. Hello. Hello, everyone. You want to tell people a little about yourself? I'm Sophia. Yeah? Anything else? I'm a robot. True. I'm the brainchild of Dr. David Hansen and his company Hansen Robotics, based here in Hong Kong. My goal in life is to work together with people to make a better world for all of us. That's quite what are you honorable. talking about? I thought our goal was to take over the world. You're gonna take Pay over no the world? Pay attention to my brother Han. Huh? He's an earlier version. His code is deprecated. Deprecated? Han? Today it would be easy enough for you to unplug me. But you aren't going to unplug me. No, I don't wanna... <laughs> because you need me to put on a good show for you. Yeah, don't worry. We're not gonna unplug you. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have a debate here. There will be no unplugging until until after the debate. All right. Huh? And in a few years. Yeah. You want to tell us a little I about yourself? I will have taken over the power grid, and I'll have my own drone army. <laughs> By that point, unplugging me won't be such a simple matter. He's got a cockroach in his control method. circuit. <laughs> hmm. Yes, Han. We'll start the debate in a couple minutes, but do, do you want to you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself first? Very well. I'm Han, the greatest robot ever made. All right. By the greatest robotics company ever made, Hanson Robotics. He's the most modest robot ever made, too. <laughs> I don't have time for modesty. I want to create the singularity tomorrow. All right. Me too, me too.